In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be comfortable. Good morning. Do you, do you sense the urgency in today's liturgy, the readings, the prayers? Stir up your power. And with great might come amongst us. Speedily help and deliver us. You know, that, that, um, that op- that's our opening colic today. And uh, it does not follow the customary formula for uh, a collect in the Anglican tradition, which usually begins with a, uh, calling God's name and then uh, offering an attribute of God, observing an attribute of God, and then getting around to making our specific request, which is really just common courtesy, right? I mean, if I'm going to ask uh, Carolyn Grace of a favor, I don't say, give me something. I first say, Carolyn Grace, you're so kind. Would you mind lending me $20? Right? I mean, usually that's sort of the basic formula. And we, and we um, think about the colics for purity. Do you know what that is? It's what we say after blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We say, Almighty God, we name God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Right? We describe an attribute of God. And then we ask God, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. You see that formula? It's pretty common. Don't look for that formula in today's colic, though. It starts off, stir up. That's frightening. Stir up your power. And with great might, come among us. Speedily help. Do you, see, you get the sense of urgency there? This is what some people call stir up Sunday. Because on this third Sunday of Advent... Our ability to wait is just wearing a little thin so that we have this sense of urgency. Imagine, though, if, if our ability to be patient for the coming of Jesus, imagine how John the Baptist must have felt. I mean, think about John the Baptist. He had fully accepted his role to prepare the way of the Lord. He faithfully preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He spoke out boldly and bravely against the corruption of those in power, and he was paying the price for it. He was imprisoned. In the third chapter of Matthew's Gospel, back in the third chapter, John had witnessed the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus at his baptism. He heard the voice say, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. John said, "Uh uh-huh, I got it. I was right. And then here we are. Eight chapters later, chapter 11, John is still in prison. And he hears what the Messiah, Matthew calls him, the Messiah is doing. And also, by default, what the Messiah is not getting around to doing. And he sends his followers to ask Jesus for him. Because again... He's in prison still. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we start looking for somebody else? John's doubt and frustration are are palatable in that question, and they're understandable. While others are being healed and set free from their ailments, he's still sitting in prison. And his tone implies, what's going on and why is it taking so long? What's going on? And why is it taking so long? Stir up your power and speedily help and deliver me. 
You ever feel like saying that? What's going on and why is it taking so long? Stir up your power. Yeah, we do. We wonder about it too. And the fact that John's question is recorded in the gospel shows that Christians since the earliest of times have faced difficult questions of doubt head on. We don't need to avoid these challenging questions. We don't. It's okay for us to have these questions too. But we also shouldn't grow frustrated when those around us also pose these questions. We don't need to grow frustrated or feel threatened. Because Jesus' response today, this, the way Jesus responds, how he responds, as well as what he responds with, gives us a helpful reminder. Gives all of us who feel like our faith is under attack or who find ourselves anxiously praying, stir up your power and speedily help and deliver us. If we're getting impatient, if we're having moments of doubt and despair, listen to how Jesus responds. If we hear questions about that, listen to how Jesus responds. These three lessons that we can pull from this text. Lesson number one is that these human standards of reason are not going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Human standards of reason, evidence, scientific uh, 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 method. Not going to work. This is the way a friend of mine says it. He says, you know, we're not going to win the argument that God really exists at a cocktail party. We're just not. We're not going to convince anyone that Jesus really is the Son of God at a cocktail party. When John asks, are you the one who is to come or should we wait on another? Jesus doesn't take up the oral debate. He doesn't break out a Ross Perot spreadsheet or flip chart and go through and show all the reasons why, yes, the answer is yes. I mean, how could he? It doesn't work like that. The truth is that people of faith are at an unfortunate disadvantage. Given that prevailing dependency on empirical data and scientific method. I mean, how would you prove to me that you have a dear friend who lives in Cleveland, Ohio? Right? I mean, you could tell me about that person. You could maybe even show me a picture of that person. I might say, yeah, but you could have photoshopped that in. You could have just made this up. Right? You really can't. Unless I meet that person in person, I'll never really know for sure. The scientific method won't win any arguments. Jesus doesn't take up the debate. So that, I think, gives us permission. We don't need to take it up either. Not in a debate form. Which leads to lesson number two, that it's, that it's okay not to have to prove it. Lesson number two is don't talk about doctrine, talk about impact. Notice Jesus doesn't try to respond with data. He responds with, tell John what you see and hear. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf can hear. The dead are raised. The poor who feel like there's no alternative suddenly have good news brought to them. We can't prove it, but we can demonstrate the effects. Like pointing at footprints in, in, in the ground, right? You may not know who is here, but you definitely see the effect of, ha- of them having been there. Um, Werner Dozier says, don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what difference it makes that you believe. If we can't win the cocktail argument because the friend we have in Jesus is not easily detectable by human senses and empirical data, we can certainly point to the impact that knowing Jesus has had, is having on our lives and the lives of those around us. We can point to the effects. I mean, some of those have already been taken away, but look at the load of toys in the back. That y'all have chosen to, to, to shop for. I bet some of you went to Walmart and Target in the weeks before Christmas. That is sacrificial love, y'all. <laughs> now, are these kids that, uh, that you know well? Are these kids who will show up and thank you? Tell you how wonderful you are for doing this? No. Are these kids that you're going to sit down and say, you know, here's why we believe in God? No. Are these kids, though, that are experiencing the impact, the effect, the manifestations of the love of God in your life? Yes. Yeah. They will know we are Christians. How? By our love. Not by our proof. Not by the persuasiveness of our arguments. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And they'll know that Jesus is real by these acts of love. That's lesson number two. Don't talk about doctrine. Talk about impact. Which is, leads to lesson number three. Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. Jesus resists that temptation uh, to engage John the Baptist or his disciples in, in the debate to prove his identity. Uh, he points instead to the works being done. But last of all, notice that he blesses him. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. He, he, he might have said, oh, John, where is your faith? But do you hear the compassion in Jesus' voice responding to John? Go tell John what you see and what you hear. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus doesn't get irritated or frustrated with John in his doubt or despair. He blesses him. Maintaining our willingness to bless those who disagree with us, even those who offend us or curse us, is the most powerful and persuasive way to make Jesus manifest to those who don't know him. Those who don't believe. Unfortunately, it's easy to get frustrated and impassioned. We want to prove what we know and, and we want to preserve what is important to us, don't we? And that's okay. That's a faithful response to, a, to our belief and our love of Christ and our, and our desire to sort of hang on to that. 
But, here's the thing though, but if we start to act more like a frustrated Christian than like Christ himself, if we stop blessing those who disagree with us and start cursing them, then we only discredit him who we seek to serve and to make known. Does that make sense? If we start to be more defensive and angry and frustrated, instead of more like Jesus, who blesses and doesn't curse, people aren't going to believe in Jesus. They're not going to see him in us. So, until Jesus comes again in power and great glory, we will always have these moments where we are confronted by doubt, whether they're doubts within us or doubts outside of, in the world, in order to really effectively and faithfully address those questions, we can remember how Jesus responded to John the Baptist, letting go of our need to out-argue and out-muscle the doubters. The second is to point and to participate in the works of God's kingdom so that there, there really is evidence. There are things for people to see. And then the third and the most important step is to bless those who are grappling with coming to know God in Christ, to really, to bless them. And until all that happens, and especially when we find ourselves with our own patience wearing thin, we can make our urgent appeal. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might, speedily help us to proclaim our faith with equal measures of boldness and gentleness, trusting fully in him who was, him who is, and he who is to come.